This is Big Dreams, Bold Moves, the podcast inspiring families like yours to discover endless possibilities for living abroad, because life is too short to settle. I'm Malia, and I will be your host as we travel around the world speaking with experienced expats and experts. We're going to learn how to get visas, make money, and find jobs abroad. We'll get a behind-the-scenes look at what everyday life with kids is really like in different countries and get you the answers you need to go from daydreaming to international move-making. Now, let's get on our way. Hello, everyone. Um, I did release that episode on migrating to Australia a couple weeks ago, but today's episode on Switzerland is sort of my first comeback episode in this next season I'm releasing in the coming weeks. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt like this break that I took over the summer months when we were moving back and forth between the US and Europe was way too long. I feel like I sort of just left you all hanging, and I don't want that to happen again. But for me to continue to keep this podcast going, I need to find a way to make it more sustainable. And I would love to find a way for us to start our own community and start having more of a two-way conversation because me just talking into a microphone staring at my computer is kind of lonely. So I have a proposal. I have created a Patreon account. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard of this before, but basically, it's kind of like a Kickstarter or a way to support your favorite content creators. So if you go to the Patreon link that I've put in the show notes, you can click on that and become a patron. I have three different tiers of patrons that you can become. The first is the Dreamer tier. And for $5 a month, You can help support this podcast and keep it going because at this point, I spend probably around 20 hours at least per episode. And um, I would say I'm spending probably around like 80 US dollars per month on various softwares and costs associated with making the podcast. Also, for $5 a month, get access to our Facebook group where... I'm going to invite all of our past podcast guests and future podcast guests to become members, and you can start connecting with them as well as meet families around the world just like you that are living abroad or dreaming of living abroad. And it's a place where we can all ask questions and get answers and share our experiences. It's a place where we can also post the different resources we find and just network, network, network. Because as they say, teamwork makes the dream work. Also, for those of you that create content or have services for families looking to move abroad or travel for extended periods of time, there will be time and space for you within the group to talk about the work that you're doing and share some of the things that you're creating. The other tiers that I've created in the Patreon account are more for people that would like to sponsor podcast episodes. So go check out the link that I've got in the show notes right now to see how you can become a member and I'll see you inside the Facebook group. Um, Okay, now for today, we are going to be speaking with Lindsay McLean. And Lindsay is the host of the Expat Repat podcast, which is becoming one of my favorite new podcasts. Um, Lindsay talks with other 
expats that have repatriated back to their home countries and talks about their experiences. And for me, it just kind of feels like therapy, especially after we went back to the U.S. this summer and it brought up so many different feelings for me and questions. And then now I'm back in Germany. I can just really relate to um, what they speak about on that podcast. Without any further ado, let's meet Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay McLean, to Big Dreams, Bold Moves. Thank you. I uh, listened to your podcast, so I, I feel like I already know you. Perfect. That's good. That's good. So will you start by telling us where in the world you are these days? Okay. So uh, right now I'm in Spokane, Washington. Um, I was born here. I didn't really grow up here. Uh, when I was in second grade, we lived in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and then we moved to Toronto for a while. Uh, then we moved to Portland. So I came of age in Portland, Oregon, and I met my husband at the University of Oregon following my study abroad semester in France. Okay. So you had some experience out in the big world. Totally. Yeah. Before coming back to Spokane. And how long have you been in Spokane now? So we've been here um, since 2015. So five years, four years, almost five years. And what is happening in Spokane? Well, my family's here. So after my brother graduated from high school in Portland, my mom ended up moving back here. Um, My two older sisters were both here. When I moved back, one of them has since moved to Portland. Okay. Did you move to Spokane from Switzerland? We moved here um, not directly, though. We went to the Midwest for one year. Uh, There was a job opportunity, and it just wasn't for us. It wasn't what we had expected job-wise. And then being in the Midwest, it just kind of felt like if we're going to be back in the same country, we might as well be back near family because we had our two little kids and it just seemed like for them to have relationships with them, we weren't going to see them any more than we had when we were overseas. Maybe we were going to see them even less, see our family. So yeah, yeah, the U S is so big. It's so big. And it's It's expensive to fly. It really is expensive. You would think it wouldn't be, but it's incredibly expensive. So, yeah. So where were you in Switzerland and when were you there? So I actually moved to Switzerland twice. Once I moved to Neuchâtel in the French speaking side, that was in 2006. And I was there for one year. My husband came over and he engaged, um, he proposed. So that's where we got engaged. Um, and so then I came back and then we moved back together when we were married in 2010 and ended up having our first child there a year later in 2011. Okay. And so how long were you there the second round? The second round, we were there for four years. That's a good amount of time. Yeah. What were you doing in Switzerland the second time around as, well, as, both, grown, as grown ups? Well, both times uh-huh. um, I went with Montessori jobs. So uh, my husband was a Montessori teacher too. And so, um, yeah, on both occasions we were teaching Montessori the first time I was, the second time we both were. And is that early childhood education or is that also primary Um, and older? 
it's also primary and older. So I did do early childhood. I taught three to six-year-olds and my husband taught elementary, upper elementary, nine to 12-year-olds. Okay. So you're saying that's a possibility to teach Montessori in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. Montessori is big internationally. Um, It's based out of the Netherlands, the association Montessori International. And so, well, it's international because it's, (laughs) she put it in French because that was kind of the, you know, language of politics at the time back in the post-war era when she set up her association, Montessori herself did. Um, But yeah, so because of that, it's, it's huge in Europe and uh, it is considered like a specialized skill. So getting a work permit was relatively easy. Did when, Do you that. remember when you went, did you have a job before you went or did you go like on oh, a tourist yes. visa? Okay. So, you know, you could never move to Switzerland on a tourist visa and stay. Okay. That's impossible. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good they to are know. so on top of Take it. Take notes like, of that. My husband came over and we got engaged. He was like feeling around and trying to get a job and people had warned us. They're like, he cannot overstay his visa. And like, sure enough, like day 84, 85, like police were following him into our apartment building. No way. They were looking at the name on the mailbox. Like they're on it. And I knew a Japanese couple where she was working there. Her boyfriend from Japan came over, overstayed the visa and the police knocked on the door on day 91. And we're like, where's your plane ticket? Where's your passport? Where's your suitcase? Like you should be leaving now. <laughs> okay. So that uh-huh. is an important note for our listeners interested in Switzerland. Not yeah. You, you even, even to like enter the country, um, you know, you have to have a round trip ticket. If you don't, you have to have a visa, a long entry visa. Like they're very on top of things. Okay. So if one was interested in moving to Switzerland and working as a Montessori teacher, are there websites that you know of um, that place people in those jobs or is there, where would you go to find out more information about that? Well, the main thing that would get you the job would be the Montessori certificate. And the one that is recognized internationally is that AMI one, the associate the Asociación Montessori Internacional. If you if you don't have that one, it's going to be a lot harder because not all of them are recognized internationally. And one thing Montessori ought to have done and did not was trademark her name. So anybody can call themselves a Montessori school. There's no restriction on that name or anything. So I and you could go tomorrow and start a Montessori training course. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> I started a podcast. Right. And then you could charge people and give them a certificate and they probably wouldn't be able to get the job with it. So the AMI certificate is the first thing. Those training courses are offered around the world. Uh, They typically last a year or two, depending. Um, And then through the AMI website and other places, there are job postings. And so, um, yeah, Montessori is definitely thriving in, in Europe. Okay. And how would you describe your life in Switzerland for those? Is, I'm, I kind of am referring more to your period of four years when you were there and you were starting mm. to have children. How was the time there then? 
Um, well, so many aspects of Swiss life are just really bucolic and uh, just sort of like you see all these photos of the Alps and like cows and stuff. And like, it, it's really true. Like there's such a great connection to nature there. And in kindergarten, children spend lots of time in the forest and Sundays are a family day. All shops are closed. Everyone goes hiking. Um, so it's, it's really a nice place to have a family. It's a very slow pace of life like many expats find it painfully boring um particularly those without children it's really child-centered I feel like so as a Montessori teacher I appreciated that a lot um but like if you're a career woman then you're not going to appreciate that because everything is set up around mothers being at home um there are a lot of aspects of Swiss culture that that are actually quite sexist, but I, it's tricky because I was a teacher and so I was working with children and I feel like the children really thrived because of the way everything was set up. So I can't really say it's good one way or bad the other, but it is what it is. And it's, I would imagine it's like here in Germany where there are a lot of supports for families too. No, not at all, really. Um, Childcare is prohibitively expensive really so that in itself bars most women from working um so do like most if, kids stay at home until their primary school age they stay at home until they start public kindergarten which starts at age four but okay. it's only it's only half a day so um it's really only from like nine to twelve so most people can't work in that time and then even when children start primary school uh, they come home every day for lunch and they only have school a couple afternoons a week, like up until, you know, sixth or seventh grade is when they finally start going back to school every afternoon. So it really makes it hard for women to work. You do get kindergeld, like $200 or 200 francs a month per child um, for having kids. But yeah, I mean, infant child care. So if you have like a one-year-old or you know, a six months old and you want to get them into full-time childcare. I mean, you could be spending 3000 francs a month on childcare. Okay. Yeah. Are you, are you getting much of like a, I'm thinking in German words now, are you getting much <laughs> like in terms of um, like an allowance to stay at home or like maternity leave benefits? During that time? For, for Europe, it's very low. So you get 16 weeks at 80% of your pay, and then it's over. Okay. Well, that is not as generous as I was imagining it would be. No, no. Switzerland is extremely capitalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they do have some socialist aspects, but they don't play out in those kind of ways. So, I mean, you can see why women really struggle to maintain their career there. Okay. So it seems like, in my mind, it could be um, a little bit more appealing to families with older kids, especially if they could get into like an international school or a school that really appealed to them, um, or unless you really wanted to stay at home with your kids and that that was important to you. I think so. I mean, I think a lot of people who 
who do have careers, uh, and if both of the parents are working, they wind up in a private school because um, they do have Hort and um, like Mutag's Tish at the at the local school. So your child can stay for lunch and they can stay after school for a while, but it's so expensive. Like it is so expensive. So, so at that point people are like, well, we might as well just go spend, you know, but I mean, the cost is really high on the international schools too. They're like 30, 40,000 a year. So yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It's a a really, really expensive place. Okay. So you're not going to debunk the myth today that Switzerland is expensive because we have not even really spent any time there. We've gone through it, but it's so (laughs) expensive for us to look at even visiting. We haven't done so. So I was thinking they must have some kind of benefits for families that make it easier to live there. Was that a reason that you didn't stay in Switzerland? That that definitely played into it. Um, Yeah when I was preparing to talk to you, like the cost of living is a big, big thing. So at that point I was pregnant with our second and then our daughter was going to start preschool. And so she was going to go to Montessori where my husband was teaching. And so because he was teaching there, we would have gotten 50% uh, reduction in the school fees. But even then it was still going to be a lot and um like you know 10 or 11,000 a year and so we were just like woof you know like so it just really kind of felt like um that that was just becoming really difficult but i mean it's really difficult in the US too so um we've managed to kind of like thread the needle somehow and like get through this age where our kids are young and and childcare is so expensive, but um, I think that that is where being your family has been the biggest benefit. Like we wouldn't have been able to do all this on our own. Yeah. Um, so what what was the expat community like there? It seems like they're maybe just from listening to your podcast. I hear about from a lot of um, other expats that have lived in Switzerland. How are these other expat families making it there? What, what do they tend to do for work or? That's a good question. So um, there, there is a large expat community there. We, that was like not our world because we were on local contracts. Um, and so there there's the englishforum.ch is this big expat website in Switzerland. A lot of people go on there to kind of gripe about living in Switzerland. Um, people will exchange tips or, you know, it's just, it's just a big online internet forum, kind of like a Facebook group, but like from the early days of the internet. And so when we first moved there, they have like drinks nights and stuff that they set up. And so we went to one of those and it was just really obvious right away. Like these are not our people. Like we don't work in a bank. We don't work in insurance. And I guess in Basel, it's like pharmaceuticals is the big thing, but in in Zurich, it's insurance and banking. And so those people are like sitting pretty. They've got huge expat packages. They're covering kids tuition, flights home, 
paying their rent. Like there's all this stuff going on. Um, they get like super cushy insurance. They, you know, have an allowance for a car. Amazing. Like we were just on our salary, like doing it ourselves. So yeah. <laughs> okay. So bankers, mm-hmm. insurance, pharmaceuticals, Switzerland could be good for you. Okay. Um, yeah. So would you say then how that you, um, you feel like because you were there on a, like a living more like locals, did you spend more time with the locals? Kind of a combination, I guess I would say, um, because the schools that my husband and I worked in were bilingual schools, they attracted a lot of expats. So we did meet people that way. But as any teacher can tell you, you have to have really firm boundaries. So we didn't like become friends with a lot of the parents. Um, we did form like really meaningful connections with some of them. And, and so we remained friends, but that's, that's kind of the exception. And, and yeah, if you're going to be somewhere long-term to like those friendships really blossomed after the kids were no longer in our class kind of thing. So Um, so I guess, yeah, we did kind of interact more with the locals. One of my best friends there I met working, uh, she was a colleague. She's Brazilian. Her husband is Swiss. Um, my other really close friends there, I met in a prenatal yoga class. Uh, we were all pregnant and, uh, one of them is American. Her husband is Swiss. One is Norwegian and her husband's also Norwegian. Uh, so they were like European expats. There was a German girl in our group, um, woman, <laughs> and let's see, where else? Scottish, uh, British, like UK, England, several of those. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of my friends there were married to Swiss. Okay. Or, yeah. Yeah. So it didn't really feel like completely expat, but like expat light or something. <laughs> <laughs> so once you had your baby there and there are all these other mothers at home with their small children, how was the social scene then? Were there lots of like playgroups or classes or activities? How did you spend your days then? Yeah. So I did baby swimming with my daughter, which was really great. Um, and at baby swimming, I got invited to join a crabble group, which is like crawling group. <laughs> so like little baby play group. Um, and it was in German. And honestly, at that point I was like, so busy. I had such a great social life there. I was like, I'm sorry. I don't have time. Um, in retrospect, like maybe I, I should have gone, but it was also just you know that feeling, maybe you don't, but for me, there would always be these times when, oh, now everyone's going to have to speak German or speak English because I'm here and I don't speak German. And I hated that. Um, I mean, I didn't like hate it, hate it, but it was just sort of like this just level of awkwardness that was more comfortable to avoid. Um, the women I met in prenatal yoga, like they're still, we have a WhatsApp group chat, like to this day. And do a weekend together once a year. Like they're still my closest friends. And so we got together 
once or twice every week at someone's house and just brought all the babies and we would bake and just hang out and like breastfeed and chat or like go for walks or go to the park as the kids got older. I mean, that just like, we'd go swimming, we'd do all these things. And so that, that was a really wonderful thing. Um, but then, you know, just, just outside of that, there were all these classes like, um, baby sensory, the one where you go and like sing and <laughs> do all this cheesy stuff. Um, I wasn't like a huge fan of that stuff, but it was my first baby. So I tried it. And it yeah. was fun. Yeah. The things that you do, I feel like with your first child and maybe not your second. Uh-huh. So true. <laughs> um, so what did you love about family life in Switzerland? Um, I guess the work-life balance. Um, I feel like people in Switzerland work incredibly hard, but they also take time to be with their family. Um, we took vacations. We had friends over for dinner. We went to friend's house for dinner. It was, it was nice. But I'm, the biggest thing was really feeling that I had a clear and defined identity as a mother. Um, it's kind of weird, but since moving back to the U.S., I feel this constant conflict between mothering and working um, and trying to do mothering and working. And my sense of identity is like really fragmented. Whereas even though, you know, how do I say it? In Switzerland, it's not like mothers were revered or put on a pedestal or anything like that. But I felt like I had a role and a purpose and that I was an integral part of society and a really important part of society. Like being a mother was enough there. It doesn't feel like enough here. Um, it feels like if you're just a mom or whatever, you know, then you're just kind of not doing enough or you're letting your fellow woman down because of, of the fact that you should be pursuing a career at the same time. Like I just, there's so much crap going on and so much pressure in the U S and I can't really figure out where I fit into it as like a feminist and a mother and <laughs> all these things. It's really, really hard. So I think, I think I kind of missed that. Like, even though Switzerland maybe wasn't set up the best for women to pursue a career and stuff like that worked just fine for me. Like I was more than happy to stay home and to focus on my baby. And, and since being a mom here, I feel like I'm just failing at everything. Like, I feel like I'm not spending enough time with my kids. I feel like I'm not uh, doing a good job at work. I feel, I mean, my house is constantly a wreck. It just kind of feels like the the level to which you're supposed to do everything is actually impossible in the U.S. And I just, um, it's just constant like stress and strife. Sometimes I wonder if that is also because you, because you understand the language in the U.S. and you're exposed to so much more, so many more opinions and uh, ideas in the U.S. that make you feel that way. I don't know. I felt the same way when I had my daughter in the U.S. and she was a baby. I felt so much pressure to like pick what kind of parent I was. What were my, you know, what was my parenting philosophy and how was I going to interact with her in public? And 
And then once I got to Germany, it was just such a relief to be able to just kind of, I don't know, go to the playground and, and not have to talk about that kind of stuff, you know? And if, I don't know what uh, the German mothers were talking about necessarily, but um, with me with the other expat moms or the English speaking moms, it was just like not a thing. We were all just more kind of in survival mode together and let's get through this together and let's be finding ways to have more in common, I guess. Um, I don't know. I do feel like I had more pressure in the U.S. than than I've had here. I really don't like parenting in the U.S. Like I, I do not like it at all. And I find it incredibly stressful. And I feel like the daily rhythm of life, it doesn't naturally include things that kids need to the extent that they need it. And so, you know, they need more time outside and more walking and more playing and more everything. And we've done a great job of creating a lot. We've helped to create like a good neighborhood culture in our neighborhood. Now kids all run around and they're all playing and the parents have relaxed a lot. And uh, we all kind of trust each other and know like, oh, if they're at your house, I'm, you know, then we're all watching them kind of out the window. Like that's been huge because <laughs> that just doesn't exist anymore the way it did when I was a kid. And so, ah, but I don't know. I mean, <sighs> yeah. So aside from the extremely high cost of living, what was a challenge about living in Switzerland? So the Swiss are very rigid and um, there's a lot of like shaming in their culture. (laughs) So that was hard. Um, You know, people will like tisk you on the street, like, and like (laughs) tell you, you know, this is not right. Like, obviously they don't say it in English to start out. They're like, Oh, that's just that me freak deak, you know? And you're like, Oh, what now? Um, but just like, I mean, you're just constantly being policed, you know? And like people will complain, like it's very much a police state. It, it is. Um, in a lot of ways, it feels like it. And so, you know, like if you're driving a car, uh, like we'd rent a car sometimes and you just like tap a car accidentally, like parallel parking or something like, people will call the police, like little old women sitting in their house will call and be like, "Mm," you know, and they'll give them your plate number. Like, so, so they're very, like, they're very on top of things and very concerned with rules and very rigid. And, and, and so that's really, that's really hard to get used to. But then once you do get used to it, then you're used to it, you know? And, and, um, and that's why everything is like, perfectly clean and beautiful and serene and um everything runs on time and like I mean that's why Switzerland is Switzerland because they are so rigid and they stick to things and they're very like yeah another thing that was kind of weird they're incredibly private so one day my daughter she's like a toddler she just learned to wave every person who got on the tram she waved to them then people would like smile back and stuff. And there were these little kids, a bunch of people got off, business people, and it was kind of empty. And there were these kids across the aisle and she's like waving to them. It's so cute, you know, and the kids are waving back. And then their mom told them to stop waving and to look out the window. And I was like, what? Oh my God, this is like inhumane. You know, why would you tell children to stop interacting with each other and look out the window? And I just was like, oh, you know, it just felt cold. Like, yeah, I think a lot of expats there, they just feel that the Swiss are like cold and mean, but 
it's not that so much. It's that they really value privacy and quiet. And so they're teaching their kids like how to act on public transport. Like we're not all just going to get on there and like wave and like chat and be noisy. Like you don't really talk on the tram. You know, like my mom would come visit and she'd be like, blah, blah, blah. And then you're just yapping away on the tram. I'm like, dude, you know, like you can't talk like that here. Like we have to be quiet. You know, like Swiss people are really quiet and they're very private. And being back in the U.S., I miss that a lot now. And I see it so much differently. But at the time, I just felt like oh, even little toddlers, like they're joyous. They're connecting with the people around them. It's like, well, no, because they've got to learn how to like function in this world. It's interesting. It's very Yeah, different. I understand. Yeah. Trust me. Uh- <laughs> So what was the deciding factor in leaving Switzerland? Um, it was mainly just pressure from family. I mean, we had these little children and, well, I was pregnant, but we had our little toddler and, um, and it was really important for me that they connected with my mom and, um, my sisters and my dad's brother, my dad died when I was little, but my uh, dad's brother is in town and like, they're very close with him. And I just, I really did want to have those family connections. And that was one of the hardest things being far away from me. Like, even though I loved what I was doing and all the stuff that was going on, like, um, it was, you know how it is. It's like, yeah, you, you can do FaceTime and stuff. Actually, I hate FaceTime. We never did that. But you can talk on the phone and you can visit and stuff. But it's just not the same as like being nearby. So that you didn't have um, like return home benefits. Like not for flights. No, I think that Mm -hmm. makes a big difference too. I'm I'm realizing that has made a difference um, for us. We've for the last five years, we know that we can fly home once a year and be there for like a month or more, and that has prevented us from getting very homesick. However, we are, those benefits are expiring for us this year. And now Ooh. it's kind of feeling like, what well, you know, we're just kind of like hanging out here and, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it changes things. Definitely. Okay. So you wanted to be closer to family. It was very expensive. Was there anything else drawing you back to the U S you'd had the job in the Midwest? Um, yes, that seemed, you know, we were kind of at a point where we realized there was nowhere for our careers to go. Like we were teaching Montessori and there was really no ability to grow in those positions at all. And I think we were just kind of like, Ooh, you know, is this really what we want forever. And for me, especially, it was frustrating because, excuse me, Montessori teachers who teach like upper grades, primary school and stuff are respected there. But I really felt like I was just treated like someone in a crippa, like a daycare, you know, and I really didn't like that. (laughs) So um, we both found co-teaching really just kind of stressful. Like, you know, teaching is hard enough, but then when you're sharing all of your duties with somebody else and 
maybe they don't have as high of a level of education as you do, but they kind of treat you like they're you're their assistant because they're the local language. Therefore, they they are more important, and you just sort of <laughs> I don't know. It was it was tricky. Like that that aspect was hard for me. Like um, because I had a master's in education, so did my husband and our co teachers. You know, I think the woman that I was teaching with hadn't even done like a bachelor's or anything. And so I was just kind of like, you know, and then, and she would be very like directive with me and act like I was just kind of there to like serve her. And that was really frustrating. (laughs) Over time it did improve, but, um, but I don't think it ever got to the point where I felt like we were total equals. Like, I think she still kind of felt like, you know, the only reason you're here is because the parents like their kids to learn English, but like the real stuff is happening with me. So (laughs) that was hard. (laughs) Yeah. So we were just at this career point too, where we're like, Hmm. How was it returning back to the U S? Um, it was really rocky. Like I, did not realize how much we had really adapted and settled into Swiss life and Zurich life and um, just kind of everything, you know, from basic everyday manners to the way that you, you know, ask a question, you know, this in Germany is the same way. People are very direct. They don't like, like the whole rules of engagement are completely different. And there's a lot more formality. And so I came back to the US and like I was, you know, pregnant. I ended up having my second baby here. And like every doctor's appointment, like I would shake the doctor's hand, like which <laughs> is normal. And they'd always look at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, get out of here. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, how else are you gonna end a doctor's appointment? Like, are we just gonna kind of be like, okay, and like stand and act kind of weird and then like turn and walk away? Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> because that's how it's done here. Whereas in Switzerland, everything like you knew exactly, they're very rigid. You knew exactly what to expect in any situation, and everything was predictable. And I had forgot, I didn't know how much I liked that until I didn't have it anymore. And then I was like, ah, everything felt like unpredictable and chaotic and I didn't know how things worked and it was such a shock like such a shock especially as a parent like I had never been a parent in the U.S. before things were supposed to be easy Mm -hmm. I thought they would be much easier and I was wrong yeah it's a different culture different gear different systems yeah and I mean I had taught Montessori here with like little kids, you know, two and a half to six years old. Like I kind of thought I had a good handle on how all of that worked and I didn't. So that was weird. It was, it's been a very long process. It's been, it's been really difficult. The most difficult thing I've ever been through. Which is why you've made a podcast about it. Mm -hmm. And I will link to that in the show notes. Um, so what would you say that your uh, big dream is at this point? What is your next or your next bold move that you're planning to make? So next bold move. You know, I am so grateful in the end that we came home. I am. I wanted 
the picket fence. And I have a picket fence. <laughs> and I wanted my daughter to go to my elementary school and for my kids to be near their family and to play in the same parks I played in. And just to kind of like have this life, like I cannot tell you how Norman Rockwell, Americana, like quintessential little golden book, dreamy, this neighborhood and everything we're doing right now is. So I'm happy we're doing all this. I think if we had just stayed right through in Switzerland, I would have regretted not having this. And I would have been sad and felt like my kids had kind of missed out on something special. So that's nice. But <laughs> since you asked, I do feel that there's like a big, bold move coming. Um, I, I think my kids have benefited hugely from this experience. And, um, but I think for me, it's, it's just really not like the life that I dream of. And when my husband and I met, he had just finished studying abroad in Germany. He studied in Tübingen. And then he just ended up living in Freiburg for a while. Freiburg in Breisgau. And so he was just kind of like on that high after you study abroad. And I was too. I had just gotten back from France and like loved it so much. And so we met and like our little joke, like from the time we like first got together was that we were going to live in Switzerland because they speak French and German there. Well, that was misunderstood on our part because they don't like speak French and German in the same cities, but still, you know, we ended up doing it and we just both loved living in Europe so much, you know, he in France, me, or he in Germany, me in France, and then both of us in Switzerland. And so we really do want to go back to expat life. And, and I don't know if that would end up being in Switzerland or if it might be somewhere else. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, um, I want our kids to have a broader worldview than they would have here. I think this is a great place for early childhood. Um, but Spokane is like in the middle of nowhere. You can drive like three hours in any direction and not really hit much. Like you get into British Columbia and there are a few towns, but like, it's just, you know? And so I really want to have, I want a different kind of like, I want to finish their upbringing somewhere else. And I don't know where that somewhere else will be, but we're open to a lot of different experiences. Like Germany would be great. Obviously Switzerland or Austria, um, the Netherlands, maybe even the UK. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So you're open-minded. Yeah. I think it doesn't have to be just about like here or there and it doesn't have to be anything forever. I think that kind of thinking gets so so scary, you know, I feel like it's, for me, it's a lot easier to look at life in like chapters. And I think four to five years is a good, solid chapter. And even if your life is a great life, sometimes you're just ready for something different. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I think for a lot of people here, the immediate assumption when we get something and tell them we're going to go is going to be like, why isn't this good enough? And it's not that this isn't good enough or that we don't like it. It's just that, you know, you can appreciate what you're doing and still want to have other and different experiences too. Yeah. 
Definitely. So if you did go back to Switzerland, how do you think it could be possible? Would you go back to Montessori teaching? Um, possibly. I mean, we just, I think we're just going to have to see. Um, I guess I'm kind of like, it's, it's really uncharted. Like what I can really speak to is the Montessori piece. And, um, you know, just for people listening, like if they're interested in teaching and, and Montessori sounds good to them, that's something they would be really into. That's definitely like a tried and tested route. Um, we're kind of looking into international schools. My husband and I have both gone back to school since we've been in the U.S. and gotten some additional qualifications. So we'll see. I'm kind of like... Like in pharmaceuticals, you know, banking, or insurance? <laughs> No, no, none of that stuff. We'd probably have been better off if we had done that. (laughs) But yeah, we'll just see. We'll see. Okay. And uh, what advice would you have for a family that was interested in moving to Switzerland? Well, I would um, recommend that that they really um, look into like... Hmm. what would I recommend to them? Well, I mean, you pretty much are going to have to factor one person not working most likely. Um, or, you know, if you have kids or you want to make sure that your expat package includes tuition, make sure that, um, the look into health insurance, health insurance is so expensive in Switzerland. Like for a family of four, you can easily spend like you know, 1600, 2000 a month on premiums. So yeah. So, um, it is not like it is in most of Europe. So you, you are required to carry it and the government has a huge amount of oversight on what companies have to provide and what they can charge for and what they can't charge for and the maximum that a deductible can be and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's still really, really expensive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that is very good to know. Yeah. I mean, for a high deductible plan for four people, um, you know, it would be minimum like a thousand a month, eleven hundred. Yeah. Okay. Swiss francs. Mm-hmm. That's in Zurich. I mean, it's a little bit cheaper in different towns depending, but um, yeah. So aim high with those expat packages. Yeah, make sure make sure they're covering everything. And just take like your family budget here and then make sure you know, or wherever you are, take your family budget where you are and make sure that every item has been accounted for going forward. Like don't make any assumptions like, oh, well, healthcare will be covered because it's Europe. Like... You know what I mean? I think a lot of people think it's going to be that way. And then they get there and they're like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of thought that like Switzerland was an expensive country to visit, but once you live there and you were sort of in and in the system, it would be like more subsidized by the government and affordable to live there and stay there. I mean, no, I think even Swiss people find Switzerland expensive, but I mean, Swiss people do if you are Swiss, you aren't dealing with like debt the way Americans are. Like you wouldn't have student loans. Um, 
most people don't ever buy. They just rent forever. Um, so the way that they have debt is really different. It's incredibly difficult to get a credit card there. So people don't have that kind of debt either. Um, so, well, I mean, maybe it's not incredibly difficult, but they're not handing them out like trick or treat the way they are here. So yeah. yeah. In Germany, when you get a credit card, it, well, at least the credit cards we've had at the end of the month, the money just all comes out of your checking account to pay it off. (laughs) Which is like, that's like the old American express model. It doesn't work that way anymore here. People are just racking them up. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's because like what I have here, that's like a debit card. You can't actually like purchase anything online with it. Mm-hmm. So I guess the only reason you really have the credit card is to make purchases online. Okay. Or for various things. I don't know. It's so crazy in Switzerland because they're so trusting. So if you order something online, they'll just send you an invoice and then you just pay it by bank transfer. That is the same story here. So um, yeah. Yeah. When I first got here, I was going to buy something online and just sort of clicking around. And then I, all of a sudden it said it was on its way. And I'm like, that can't be, I didn't enter any payment details. What's going on? And I called (laughs) and I said, Oh yeah, well, we'll just send you an invoice and take your time. Just pay it. You're like, what? (laughs) I know it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Anyways. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. And I will definitely put a link to your podcast Um, in the show notes. Perfect. And thank you for hanging out with me today. Until next time, keep dreaming those big dreams and scheming bold moves.